the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Uh, okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Let me break it down like this. We're gonna have a match tonight. First stipulation, because I am in charge. Yes. And since they're not at ringside, Team Canada, not at ringside, cannot interfere in this match. Second all, second of all, second all, you have to power bomb before you get the pinfall. Power bomb? And Team Canada is barred? What? And third, since you want a handicap match. It will be me and Kevin against you. Whoa. Believe me, we're mad as hell, and we're not going to take this anymore. Why, and a great Peter Finch impersonation. Mike Sanders has lost it. Elix. This is kind of like a coaching clinic by Coach Nash. You guys should pay attention. Oh, wait a Did not lose a beat from that missile drop kick, and now the patented Jackson oh. Is Kevin the cruiserweight champ? Here's a cover. One, two, three. No! It's above average Mike Sanders. Wow! That's the third title the Natural Born Thrillers have in their possession now. The Thrillers juggernaut continues. Tag team, hardcore, and now the cruiserweight title. Hey, give the coach credit there. He was the leader. Kevin Nash won that title as much as Mike This Sanders. is the two-man power chip of wrestling, and this is the flagship show, the interview show, the interview series, if you will, of the two-man power trip of wrestling empire. I am, of course, J.P. John Paz. Chad is off this week on assignment for TMPT. This week, of course, we bring in a man we have been dying to get on the show 
absolute honor to finally get him on. That is above average Mike Sanders. You may know him from his time in WCW 2000-2001 era. The leader, the spokesperson, the voice of the Natural Born Thrillers. A great underrated group that I wish got more time. I wish they got more time to mature and grow and do more things. But the end of WCW in March of 2001 kind of killed all hope for that and ended that group. But Mike did a lot of great things while he was in WCW. Former Cruiserweight Champion, former Commissioner, former maybe even current, great talker, one of the best talkers in wrestling. We talk about that in the interview, how he kind of, where he ranks and those great talkers that were around during that Attitude Era and kind of his pecking order of where he belongs on that list. And I think it's pretty damn high. And spoiler alert, so does he. He definitely agrees with me on that. Great, great talker. But besides wrestling, and we do get into TNA a bit, and we're probably going to have part two, maybe part three, and so on and so forth with Mike as he's going to come back on with us, which you'll hear at the end of the interview. We promise you he will be back on for some more stories. We get into TNA a little bit, get into some real good detail on WCW, his tryout, getting into WCW, the Natural Born Thrillers, Ernest the Cat Miller, Vince Russo. We get into all that, but we will, like I said, get into a little bit of TNA wrestling, but only... A touch. There will be way more great stories of TNA wrestling the next time around. But this time around, there's so much goodness, so many good stories from WCW that it kind of filled up a lot of the time. And we'll get into a, a lot of that in this interview. We also talk about what he's doing today and his acting career and kind of what he's been doing. And if you've kind of been living under a rock or haven't been paying any attention, he's been in such shows as Homeland, Modern Family, Necessary Roughness, Single Ladies. Devil's Not, Burn Notice. So a lot of big-time shows and a lot of roles that he's been doing. So the acting bug and the acting career is going quite well for the above-average Mike Sanders, I just, which I just love that nickname, and I love talking with him. He was just so smooth and so easy to talk to. And like I mentioned, he's such a great talker. Really comes through in this interview how great he really truly is. Just love kind of... Everything about his presentation, what he was doing, uh, not taking it too seriously. And, you know, you'll hear in this interview a bunch of great stories. We'll talk about Conan, talk about Kevin Nash, talk about a really, really great story with Diamond Dallas Page and kind of a stolen gimmick, if you will, or a stolen catchphrase. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you're probably not SOL, but if you. If you have no clue what's going on, you don't know what I'm talking about, then you are SOL. So that is going to be a, a great, great, terrific story. I just love that. I just thought that that was so funny, and, and he's just so great and so personable. So I, I don't really want to get into it too much and go crazy and take too long to go off on a tangent or anything like that. I want to kind of send you off to the interview because I really think you're going to enjoy it, and, and I really am looking forward to a part two and maybe even more with above average it's just a just a great guy to talk to but i would be remiss if i didn't mention the tmpt empire and what else is going on in the tmpt empire of course we have eyes up here with francine we of course have the triple threat podcast with shane douglas that you can hear exclusively on vince russo's the brand over on the realm network of course we are winding it down and the last episode will be out very very soon of jj the J.J. Dillon Podcast. I say last 
but I really mean last this season because it's more of a hiatus. We have some stuff that we've recorded for some future episodes. We have some stuff that we will be recording for future episodes. So it's not a really a goodbye. It's just a goodbye for now. It's just a hiatus, and we have contact with JJ weekly. So we're always kind of uh, throwing ideas back and forth. So we're definitely not officially going to call that one done, as we will, as you will see coming up. We've recorded some stuff. Not only the last episode of the season, but we've recorded some other stuff for down the road as well. And of course, the new podcast that is sweeping the nation. It is Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Really, really good stuff. First episode it was kind of like a getting to know you. A lot of great tips about training and where you could be as a pro wrestler. And his past as far as training and his past as far as being a legendary professional wrestler. This week on the show, we will talk to you all about The Rock. Yes, the man he trained, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Awesome stories, awesome details on that. You will really, really love that. But before we get to that, I'm going to hit you with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. And then we're going to send it on over to Mike Sanders. Now, for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Power Trip, and at Wrestling Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michael, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, Check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a former HWA World Tag Team Champion, a former WCW Cruiserweight Champion, and of course, a former WCW Commissioner, he is above average. Sander, please enjoy. is a former HWA World Tag Team Champion, a former WCW Commissioner, and WCW Cruiserweight Champion. He is, of course, above average. He is 
Mike Sanders. Mike, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you, man? Glad to be on the show, brother. Brother. Very. I, said, I said brother. I said brother like I'm Hulk Hogan, right? That's so old school. <laughs> I said glad to be on the show, man. So, Love it. Now, what are you up to today? Because we haven't really heard or seen from you as far as wrestling and, and the wrestling business for a while. So what have you been up to? Uh, you know, uh, well, I'm on company. I own a company here in uh, Atlanta. And uh, also I've been doing some TV and film since about 2009. Um, but other than that, man, it's like, like I said, I own my own company. Uh, it's an event company here in Atlanta. And then uh, I have a really good agent and uh, doing some TV and film, man. Just and really just kind of enjoying life, man. <laughs> so, as far as TV and film, are you? Is that something like you were always had kind of aspirations of doing? Is that something that you always wanted to get into? Is that kind of like something that bridged from wrestling to what you're doing? Like you wanted to kind of use wrestling to get into acting. Uh, no, I mean, not so much that, man. Like, uh, you know, when I got out of pro wrestling, then I kind of went and started doing some stand-up comedy. And um, then just, uh, honestly, by kind of happenstance, I mean, I, entertainment to me is just like entertainment, I guess you could say. So um, by happenstance, like, you know, I, I met a lady that was working for an agency, and uh, there was a guy, which I don't know a lot of people really, really remember him, but his name was Cameron. And uh, he was involved in wrestling for a while. Uh, I don't even know how to explain, like, Cameron, um, if anybody would even really remember this guy. But he was like, hey, you know, you should think about doing some TV and film. Let me hook you up with an agency. And uh, probably back in 2007, he hooked me up with this agent and uh, was kind of a shyster kind of agent, to be honest with you. And uh, there was a lady that worked for him that eventually started her own agency. And I went to go, I went with her like from the jump and, uh, because she kind of knew the industry and she just, you know, she worked with this guy for a really long time. And to be honest with you, she just got tired of, uh, lying to, uh, the talent about getting paid. This it, is a long drawn out story. We don't have enough time for it, but, mm-hmm. uh, she started her own agency and she said, Hey man, will you jump ship with me? And I'm going to do my own agency. I've got about five or six people, and uh, she's still my agent to this day, man. And that was in probably 2009. So it was like, God, 10 years later, man. And, and as soon as I, uh, as soon as she started her own agency and I jumped ship, uh, I booked one of my first uh, gigs on a show called All Me Wives. So uh, it was it was kind of cool. And I've been with her ever since. So now it's so cool to kind of wrestlers venture off and do acting do you think it's a lot easier of a transition for wrestlers to get into that because they're used to doing not just really acting per se but they're kind of used to pressure of, of being filmed and whether it's live or not and they're they're used to kind of just the rigors of hey this is what you got to do uh, you know nail this and play this character and and really be ready for this well I, well i'll be honest with you man like when i first started transitioning so it's interesting you should say that because um, I think the parallels are a lot different. Um, you know, so when I was wrestling and I had to do a promo or a backstage interview, you know, they just kind of give you the uh, – how would you say it, man? They like to give you the uh, – Bullet points? Bullet points. And, like, I was – I had a chance to go out and just be Mike Sanders in pro wrestling, right? So – like the bullet points are there and I would go out and I would just be Mike Sanders. 
Um, and acting is so different because, you know, whether you're being a, a detective or a lawyer or whatever the case is, you know, you kind of kind of break it down and figure out like what's going on in this scene or, how, you know, what's happening here. To me, it's a little bit more, and, and let me just say this, pro wrestling, like to, to grab a microphone or to get put in a vignette or just to, you know, to be Mike Sanders wasn't difficult for me to do. Um, but I will tell you, man, when I first, when I got into uh, transitioning into acting, you know, my agent, the one of the things she was like, oh, it's, you know, it's really great. You know, you, you were pro wrestling, you had this, this, and initially I was just like, let's take the pro wrestling out of it because, you know, not for nothing. I, I don't know how many casting directors at the time would be taking, you know, a pro wrestler series as an actor. You know, because you see it, and I, I just, I take that off the Hulk Hogan movie, the Hulk Hogan movies, and some of the stuff that was going on, you know, like, being taken serious, and to the one point where I was just like, let's just keep, I kept it off my resume for a minute, like, that I was in, you know, WCW or the WWE, like, it was off my resume, um, and I, the funny thing is, is, I had ran into a couple of casting directors, I can't think of the one lady's name. And later on, where, where it was on my resume, she goes, oh, I see you were in WWE. She goes, yeah, we just produced a movie for, I forget it was, it was when New Orleans was, uh, movies in New Orleans were being produced pretty hot, uh, maybe The Chaperone or something. I forget what it was, uh, with Triple H. And I was like, yeah, I used to be in, I was in WCW and WWE for a you know, hot minute. But uh, I, I had it off my resume uh, initially um, starting out. Because uh, I just wanted to, be, I just wanted to kind of separate myself, and I don't want to sound kind of. Uh, I want to be taken. Uh, I don't want to say seriously, because you know, in, you know, as, from a pro wrestler to an actor, like I want to be taken seriously. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, um, but it wasn't a difficult transition, man. It's like you know, it, it's almost like that. You know, the producers in, in wrestling, you know, come and say, "Hey, we we need you to deliver this." It's the same thing, man. You get lines in, in acting and TV and film, and they go, you know, you got to deliver the line, so you got to figure out, you know, not not so much memorization, but you know, you, you, you know, if it's if it's a lot, then you know, you got to figure out how to, I guess you could say, memorize it and, and deliver it. So interesting that you kind of would almost say no wrestling is. I guess that is somewhat of a stereotype, like, oh, wrestlers in movies, or, you know, maybe they might think, like, some of the bad Hogan movies or the, that horrible Triple H movie or something. But also, you know, Hogan and, and Rocky was great, and obviously now The Rock and Cena are kind of killing it. So right. it, it, it does kind of go up and down, I guess, but depending on, I guess, it the does. casting director. You know? It was, And I guess for me, man, like, I, I, yeah, back at, like, back at back 10 years ago, not so much now, because I don't, like, in my IMDb or whatever, like, it, it's in my IMDb and all that, but you know, that was, you know, I was a pro wrestler, but like you back, when I back, when I backed it up like 10 years ago, I guess you could say, yeah, it was 10 years ago or maybe even, even 12 years ago when I first started, you know, auditioning, um, you know, what was out there 12 years ago was just kind of like, I didn't want to be in that stereotypical, I was guys a pro wrestler. It was almost when, like, when, like and, you know, when I was doing sort of a stand-up comedy, man, like I was honestly, that was before Mick Foley. Like I was probably one of the first guys doing stand up comedy that went out of pro wrestling. You know? And once again, like I mean, I've got a whole bit about pro wrestling in my stand up, but at the same time it was like nobody knew, there wasn't any pro wrestlers doing stand up comedy. Now, I mean look, now 
Everyone, everyone, yeah. Everybody's yeah. doing stand-up. And they're not even really doing stand-up. They're just, you know, they're, to, to me, a lot of these guys are just, they're going to these comedy clubs and they're just telling stories to the, uh, the you know. Wrestling fans. Wrestling fans. To do stand-up comedy, I didn't do that. Like, that wasn't me. Like, when I, went, when I started doing stand-up comedy, like, I was writing comedy. So I'm not I'm not sitting up there for an hour telling road stories. To me, it's totally different, man. And kudos to those guys that can do that. You know, the Jake the Snake and those guys that can get up there and big boys that can capture an audience and tell those stories. But not to knock on anybody to go do 30 minutes of comedy is a lot different than telling road stories. You know, to be able to go deliver an hour of comedy, to me, like, like I can go deliver 30 minutes of comedy. I can go deliver an hour of stand-up. I've done it before, you know, and it's just, it's different. But, you know, I'm not doing comedy to the typical wrestling fan. Like, I'm getting booked, when I, when I was doing it, I was getting booked to Orlando, but the improvs and the, the comedy catch in Chattanooga. And it was, you know, they booked me because I was delivering comedy, not because I was a pro wrestler, you know. Right. And it's interesting as far as your acting roles and stuff, you mentioned Army Wives, but I think a lot of people, and I remember me because I used to watch Homeland all the time. I saw you in Homeland, uh, Burn Notice. I saw you in a bunch of different things. So you are out there and, you know, on these big time shows. Well, here's, this is what I tell people too, man. Like, so even on, you know, on Army Wives or let's just take Homeland. Uh, So Mm -hmm. Army Wives, I shot for two weeks on Army Wives with a guest star credit wind up being just the dead guy you know i shot on homeland if you watch my homeland uh as as quick as the scene is as the um honorable chesney it's a pretty quick scene that's mm-hmm. really quick um you know the other thing um and i shot modern family i was, I was a modern family back in 2014 15 something like that 15 or 16 i was a modern family quick you know but i think what a lot of people understand is like uh, you know, I'm proud of everything I've done because what it takes, like the people you actually have to beat out to get that, whether it's three or four seconds or, you know, three or four minutes or 13 or 14 minutes on TV, you know, you you beat out a lot of people for that. You know, it's so I'm proud of like even the like even getting booked on Army Wise, man, the first thing I ever did. I mean, I shot for freaking two weeks. And I was like, okay, I'm the dead guy. And I was always, I was jacked because when it was come out, there was a lot of stuff that we did, but I wound up being the dead guy on the show. Uh, but, you know, the auditioning process to get to that point, even with Homeland, you know, when I booked Homeland, you always think it's going to be more. Like, you know, you, you see the sides and you read and you do the read, you go, okay, there's a lot more involved. And then you actually shoot the thing and editing, 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 editing. And then, you know, you're... <laughs> five or six seconds in the scene, maybe 15. But at the end of the day, I was always proud of that because what it takes to get there and how many people you have to be better than to get that spot, um, it's just, it's an accomplishment. I, I don't care what anybody says that. Like, I, like I'd have people, like, when it, some of the shows that I'd been on, and not like Burnt, like, like Burnt Notice was cool because, you know, I had some time to burn Notice and, uh, the Devil's Knot was cool. I was the auctioneer and uh, Necessary Roughness. I had some great time there. But it was the same amount of effort to get that time as it was for the short time I was on 
single ladies or homeland or army wives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to do that, to me, it's still an accomplishment. Because people would say, oh, man, I watched, like, I, I, I watched army wives. Army wives, you was just the dead guy. So then I always say this, too. Yes, I was just the dead guy, but I still get a residual check from army wives. <laughs> okay? It's not a whole yep. lot now. But I still will get lunch probably for the rest of my life for as long as I'm living. Um, and and the checks from the, the 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 checks from Modern Family were really good. And the checks from the Rings, which you barely even saw me in the Rings, were you know, you know we shot for uh, I was in the movie The Rings, which is still doing it still does you know good stuff. And it's listen I'm not retiring on that money, but it's still great to get those you know checks in the mail. But at the same time, you know we shot for. Uh, man, I was there 18, I think we shot 18 hours on the rings for the little, I mean, people understand it, like the little bit that I did on the rings, uh, hey, it was a great payday. Um, and, I'm, you know, you still get the residual checks. Um, so, you know, it, it's, listen, man, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm still proud of what I'm doing because uh, I'm still passionate about the process. I will tell you this, the process of acting um, Listen, grabbing a microphone and going out in front of 30,000 people or 15,000 people or eight, eight people, I'm not trying to say, it was not hard for me. When uh, Russo, they would come to me or they would say, hey, we need you to uh, go out and do this. And they would hand me the microphone with the natural born thrillers or, or what I was going to get to the cat or I was going to get that wasn't hard for me I don't don't ask me why man like I just because I was Mike Sanders now going in front of a full-on comedy club or grabbing an audition and and walking in front of a casting director you know when you've got to deliver lines and you're like you know you've got maybe one maybe two shots at this that's nerve-wracking as hell um comedy comedy was it wasn't it was tough for me because in comedy you're either funny or you're not you know, as a pro wrestler, pro, rest, pro wrestling fans, I don't want to, I'm not knocking them, but they are programmed to us in a sense back when I was coming through. It was like, you know, you're either the good guy or you're the bad guy. You're either the heel or you're the baby face. So I could grab a microphone and walk out there and for me to have heat. <laughs> that was easy, man. I just had to be Mike Sanders, you know. So when acting kind of came along for me, you know, the process of it, like the process of auditioning, became a passion and, and and I still enjoy that passion to this day. Like it's, it's still a process. When I get a chance to audition, it's a, you know, it, it's a passion for me. And if I get a chance to do stand up comedy, man, it's still like, I'll jump on the stage. I'll grab a microphone. And I've had an opportunity to do that uh, periodically. I love it. It's just, it, it's just, it, it drives me. And you're just kind of like naturally charismatic, naturally a good talker. So very smooth, and I feel like wrestling and cutting those promos, like you said, very smooth, very easy, and you were always excellent at it. But how did you actually get into WCW and the power plant? Because 98 and that era of you kind of coming in, that was the hottest time in the business. So that is the time where it would be the most impossible to kind of get into wrestling and get into that role because, you know, everybody's like, oh, my God, this is hot. I can make so much money. Look at Steve Austin. Look at the NWO. Like, oh, my God, look at Goldberg. I can go into the business. So how did you get in at that point? <laughs> See, a lot of people probably don't know this, or maybe they do, because I may have told this story. Hang on. Okay, so 
I was working out at Main Event Fitness, okay? So Main Event Fitness at the time was owned by Lex Luger and Sting. So at Main Event Fitness, you were one of three things. You were either a chiropractor going to live chiropractic, you were either a stripper, or you were a pro wrestler. Hmm. The truth, I mean, you can ask anybody, ask Sting, ask, like, you know, at, at Main Event Fitness, that's what you were. So I was working out there on a regular basis, and at the time I was, you know, and I had like, like you got to understand something, man. Like I grew up uh, with two things. I grew up on Georgia Championship Wrestling, and I grew up watching comedy. And when I mean comedy, man, I mean like Buddy Hackett. I mean like old school com- comic guys. So, but also grew up on Georgia Championship Wrestling with Gordon Soley, and so. I had two things in my mind, but, like, I always wanted to be a stand-up comic. Like, I literally always wanted to be a stand-up comic. And I remember somewhere around 97, towards the end of 98, I was working out at Main Event Fitness, and I was, I mean, I probably was, you know, I wasn't a big guy, but I was too, I would probably say I was 230, 240. And I was talking to guys like, I don't know if you remember, like, the high-voltage guys. Um, Oh, yeah. Yep. Robbie Rage. And Kenny uh, Chaos. Yep. Kenny Chaos, Robbie Rage. So they worked out there. Kidman was there. DDP was there. And I remember, and he, and I, I doubt Dallas would ever remember this conversation, but I remember talking to Dallas and some of the guys at main event, and I was like, yeah, I want to be a stand-up comic. And Dallas was like, nah, you're going to be a pro wrestler. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> and whether Dallas will ever remember it, in his life, but he, he's like, yeah, if you want to be a pro wrestler, you got to go down to the power plant, and this is what you need to do. This is what you need to expect. So I signed up, took my, I think it was like 250 bucks. I signed up, and I remember my tryout was like at the end of, it was right around the end of January in February of 98, because I will tell you, that Monday Nitro was in the, was in Phillips Arena, and if you ever watch that episode of Monday Nitro, you'll see me with a good buddy of mine ringside. I was bald headed, and even Virgil, because the NWO was coming out there, and Virgil's patting his head. He's looking at me. He's pointing at me, and I saw myself on TV. But anyway, so but before all that, before I even got to that point, Dallas was like, "Look, you better start squatting your ass off." You better do this, 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 this. So when I showed up at the power plant, I knew to keep my mouth shut, my head down, and do the work. You know, I showed up that day. It was a three-day tryout. I showed up with, I think it was like maybe 30, 40 guys there. And uh, by the end of that day, you know, most of those guys were gone. It was about like 13 of us left, 14 of us left. And I remember saying to myself, uh, I remember being at the house going, man, if I could just get up, if I could just get there the next day, I'll be good. And by the end of the second day, there was only five of us left. And by the by the third day, like, I think there was three of us that showed up and made it through. But, it, but I literally, like, I wanted to be a stand-up comic. Like, that's what I wanted to do. But but also, you know, I knew the background of professional wrestling just from growing up with George Championship Wrestling and that, that whole end generation and that whole era, you know, in my, so I wasn't oblivious to it, but I never, I never, I never had that passion to be like, like I'm going to go be a pro wrestler until Dallas, 
you know, at main event fitness is like, ah, you don't want to be a comic, you want to be a pro wrestler. And I was like, well, shit, yeah, I want to be a pro wrestler. And then that's how it kind of happened, man. So, you know, I went and tried out. Now, you know, we used to get a lot of heat, bro, because I went, I went to the WCW power plant in 98. Less than a year from that, I had a contract, and we were the natural born, well, probably a year, I think. Then we were the natural born thrillers on TV. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, I'll, I'll tell you, man, that's, that's, I didn't pay a lot of dues as far as like, that's why when I got out of wrestling, it was kind of hard for me to get, to do the independent thing because I wasn't like a lot of guys that had spent years and years on the independence that like, you know, the Jay Lynn's and all those guys, man, that had just new promoter after promoter after promoter. Like we, we went from the training to the dance. So it kind of hindered me a little bit when I got out of the industry early. I should say when I got, you know, fired. So. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You you go to the power plant, you train, and then you kind of immediately end up being the natural point thrillers on TV. But as far as the power plant, you always hear stories of, they don't really want the guys to, to pass almost like they, it's like military training style where they want them to fail. And you said like 30, 40 guys quit. Is that, was that their goal to see who quits and see who lasts? Like who's the toughest basically? Yeah. They want, they want to know if, well, not really who's the toughest, but just like who's got the heart to stick it out for those three days, you know? And, you know, I had, I, I had the heart with two other guys to stick it out for those three days. Now, after that, like I immediately, I think I think at that time it was like fifteen hundred dollars, and then you know to pay for your training, no guarantee of a contract. And I think I you know I came in, and I gave like I don't know like five hundred dollars, and then I was like, I started training every day, you know, and uh, and then I did some other stuff too, man. Like I was helping Sarge set the rings up for you know all the house shows, a few Monday nitros here and there. Like I just kind of went all in on it, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I think they just wanted to weed out who was, cause there was a lot of guys, man. There's a lot of guys that, you know, were on TV that had went through the power plant. Um, I, I think even Nash went down there and trained, you know, back in the day, you know, cause Jody Hamilton ran it with Pez Watley, Mike Winter, and, uh, the other guy who's actually in jail now for life, um, hard body Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> look at that. But yeah, he's a he's a troublemaker uh, for sure. What about Orndorff? How was you know how was he down there training? Was he tough? Uh, well, so there was a transitional period, man. I remember coming back off from setting up the ring. Well, let me just back up. We we had this deal to where the power plant was getting ready to move to the new. Uh, WCW facilities, like the old power plant was going to move up to the new facilities, and the only way you could go to the new facilities was to be under contract. And you had to, we had to have this match. Like, Orndorff comes down, and he sits, and everybody has to have a match in front of Orndorff. And I remember, like, I was like, okay, so me and I, uh, remember Lash, remember Lash LaRue? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So me and Lash was like, okay, listen, you and I will work together. We work together, and we'll have this match. And about, I don't know, about three or four minutes into the match, man, it was like, like, last hit me in the freaking nose. My nose was bleeding to bust my nose. And, like, I barely got through the damn match. And I knew it sucked. And then I went out on the road with Sarge to set the ring up. And all I kept thinking was, like, yeah, I'm not, 
time I'm done. Like I'm not, I'm not going to the new power plant. I'm like, cause I remember how bad the match sucked. I remember me getting busted in the nose and just being like, you know, five. like anyway, I came back off the road with Sarge and, uh, Orndorff called me in the office with Jody Hamilton. He's like, Hey, and he pulled out the contract. He's like, Hey man, here you go. You know, you're going to the new power plant. You're going to be one of the, uh, so we get to the new power plant and listen, Okay, so so I don't I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of Mr. Wonderful because I mean I get what he was trying to do um, and I guarantee you, if you ask anybody you ask Martin Jindrak you ask Chuck Palumbo like you ask any of these guys they're probably gonna tell you like Orndorff was a dick at at the power plant matter of fact Orndorff had Orndorff had fired me at one point and. Um, I don't know if he knows this or not, but like he fired me. Uh, you know, one of that, that whole deal about Orndorff was big about you need to put on 20 pounds. You know, Orndorff was a, an, an MF. And I get it. He's Mr. Wonderful, legend, and all that. But down at the power plant, like he wasn't, I don't think he was trying to groom us for success. He was bitter. Mm. To me, to me, he was just kind of bitter. Like, and I mean, I get it. Like, his style and, and where he came from and all of that and what he did. And I respect all that, but that's a power plant. So then he, you know, he winds up, he wound up firing me. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows him, but he fired me. And I mean, I remember the day he fired me. He's like, here, put on 20 pounds. We'll give you another tryout. So I left that day. My dad on the towing service, man. Like I went back and got a tow truck with my, my dad's tow truck. And my dad's like, what happened? I was like, just lost my contract with WCW. And I was like, I guess I'll be driving a tow truck. I remember Terry Taylor called me the very next day and he said, Hey man, I, I don't want to lose you. He goes, would you, would you mind doing the, remember the Russo, uh, was it Russo, um, Bischoff security. Security. Yep. Yeah. R&B. Yeah. 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 It was like RB security. They're like, Hey, he's like, I don't want to lose you, man. I'd love to. Because Terry Taylor was super nice to me. And he's like, you know, uh, so then I was like, Sure. So I went on kind of a, I wasn't, I wasn't under a contract, but like, I don't, I don't know what you, I don't know how you call it, man. I don't, I don't know what they did for me, but like, I would go do like WCW Worldwide's, and I would do the Russo Bischoff security, and, um, you know, actually probably had one. Of, I gave probably I gave Marcus or Buff as one of his best matches he ever had on a WCW Worldwide. Ask him, he'll tell you. Um, uh, but, and then, um, they were doing a Monday nitro at the, uh, Phillips arena or something like that. And we were all there and Terry Taylor said, Hey, you, you need to come to this. We want you down there. I never forget that day, man. Cause me and Alan Funk rode down together and Elix Skipper was, Elix Skipper was driving behind us, following us down there. And I looked in my rear view mirror and Elix wasn't there anymore. I was like, I don't know what happened to him. Anyway, a car came crack. A car came through the other intersection and T-boned him out of my sight. Whoa, damn! It was crazy. Like Alan's like, what happened to Elix? I was like, I don't know. He was just behind me. And like in a blink of an eye, uh, we got onto the we got onto the uh, arena. And then you know Elix showed up later. He's like, yeah, dude. He's like, a car comes through another intersection and just T-boned me out of like literally. Um, but at that. At that Monday Nitro, uh, I got introduced to Vince Russo, and 
Vince Vince Russo basically said, "Yeah, he goes, yeah, let's let's give him his job back," and he didn't even know me. He was like, "Let's just give him his job." Yeah, yeah, let's let's he's he's back. Let's give him his job back. I was like, "Shit, okay." And I I made and, and <laughs> you would love this man. Like there was there was probably me, Jindrak, It was funk. It was all the power plant guys, and and Russo kind of had this idea about us. And he's like, yeah, let's 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 make something happen with these guys. And that day, from that day forward, we all looked at each other. And I remember, I think it was Jindrak goes, I'm never going to the power plant again. <laughs> I was hmm. like, well, I'm damn sure not going back down there. I've already been fired. I just got my job back. You bet my ass I'm not going back down there. And we all just kind of looked at each other. And we're just like, F that. We're not going back to the power plant, man. It's, it's, it's time to move forward. So is Russo the one that, Said okay, you know you're on TV. You're now above average, and you, you know you do the 3.0, or like is that how uh, that goes? Well, so <laughs> the above average is a totally different story, man. Like, no, 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 no. Okay, so here's something that probably has never been aired, and I doubt I would ever air this. So people always used to ask me about the natural born thrillers idea, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were like, and okay, it's probably gonna be a lot of heat, but I don't really care because I'm past it in my life. But uh, the actual idea didn't really come from me, which a lot of people think it uh, it did come from me. But originally, it actually came from AJ Styles back before AJ Styles was even a blip on the radar. Right, long, long time ago. Now the three point the three finishing name came from Shane Helms because Shane Helms was like, if you're above average, man, you got to, you're your finisher. You got to have something. And Shane Helms was like, it's, you know, 3.0. That's, that's kind of above average. Now the above average, um, there was this, okay. So when I was bouncing at a bar, this is how stupid this came about, man. I was bouncing at a bar and this dude that used to hang out with, uh, Mark Jindrak, who, uh, is, since then has passed away. He got shot in a strip club accident, a strip club shooting down in Atlanta years and years and years ago. Um, he was just a, a young wrestling fan. This is before, dude, I didn't even have a, con- I don't think I had a contract or anything or, or I was, maybe I was under a developmental. He comes up to the bar one night with these drawings and he's like, I got this great idea. I'm like, I'm checking IDs and he's kind of going to the bar. I'm like, what, what, like, what are you telling? He's pulling, he goes, you're above average, Mike Sanders. And he's got me kind of dressed in like an X-Pac, like how X-Pac <laughs> used to dress. Like a, so yeah. I was like, he goes, you're above average. He's like, you're, you're like, you're like a, you're like a solid C. Like you're not the best looking guy, but like you'll do. I'm like, get, and I literally, I like, get the fuck out of here, bro. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> so I'm sitting with Disco, I think Disco, Vince Russo. And they're like, we got to have something. There's got to be a name. There's got to be something. And I said, well, this, this fucking kid come up with some stupid idea one time. And I'm like, it's like the above average Mike Sanders. The, you know, like the, I'm a solid C. And I remember Disco's like, yeah, yeah, I see that. Like, I mean, you're not bad. Like, you'll do. And I'm like, really? And then, you know, <laughs> I mean, not Shivani, but like, you know, he used to run with a lot was um, not Tony Shivani, but um. Scott Hudson? Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay. Oh, okay. He's like, he's above average. He's not bad. Like, he'll do. He's a solid C, you know? Like, if you, you know? And so when I went to go cut, like, the, the first promo I ever really cut cut um, was against Norman Smiley. And, you know, I think Russo, or not Russo, but uh, 
Wow, who was Russo's minion at the time? What was his name? Bill Barron. Bill Barron? Not Bill Barron's, but uh, Bill Banks. Uh, he's like, we got this promo. He's going to be in a hardcore match with uh, Norman Smiley. And he's like, you know, you just go out there and really play the above average. And so I went out there and was just like, yeah, I'm the number one guy on the B roster. And, like, really was like, I'm the best guy on the B roster. Like, really made it sound like, you know, I was proud of that. <laughs> and uh, that promo, I think it was in Colorado, man, with um, – that promo in Colorado with uh, Norman Smiley, the following week, I remember, like, I think it was Banks and Russo. Like, Russo told Bill Banks, he's like, I mean, I don't know if it was the exact words that he made, that he was like, uh, this, this guy can talk. And next thing you know, man, I got a six-minute promo on Monday Nitro when we're the Natural Born Thrillers. That's kind of how that happened. Love that group, too, because you think about it. You mentioned Jindrak, Sean O'Hare, great uh, underrated guy. Chuck Palumbo, Stasiak eventually, Reno. Reno. Quite a, yeah, quite a stable, quite a Johnny the Bull, Johnny chemistry. the Bull, man. Like, and Johnny the Bull, yep, exactly, yep. Damn, I mean, that, that's a pretty good group of, of all young guys that are all kind of so much potential, but all had their own distinct charisma. I mean, you could tell O'Hare a great athlete had something you could tell Jindrak, you know what I mean? Like each of you had something and you were kind of like that guy who was like a great leader and a great talker for these guys. Well, they, they always, they'd kind of equated it to this. Like, let me just say, like, I, I'll say O'Hare and those guys. And I, and most people, they'll say to me a lot of times, I'll say, well, what do you really miss? What do you miss about like wrestling? And I, I always say like, I miss the camaraderie. Like I miss the camaraderie we had with, Jindrak and like sometimes like you know O'Hare like like I roomed with O'Hare a lot like you know how to take that dude like but he was solid like if some shit would break out you would want O'Hare on your side right like but all of those guys Jindrak O'Hare Johnny the Bull and like those they were all good guys and they all brought something different I mean where else were you going to get six foot five 200 plus 250 dudes that could fly like Jindrak or guys that look like Palumbo, you know, and Stasiak and these guys, man, like, uh, it's actually, the the crazy thing is, is like, I think we were before our time, you know, um, I always think about that. I don't know. One thing I don't do is I don't dwell at all. Like I'm, man, I'm so happy that I was where I was at. and It was a great life. I don't dwell on it, but I really believe like we were before our time or what they weren't ready for that. You know, um, because we didn't, dude, we didn't fall in line with kayfabe and handshake and all that shit, man. We didn't. And we rubbed people the wrong way all the time. Now, I was the guy that stood behind all those guys that thought I was six foot six and just ran his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, that was me. Like, I remember listening to him. He's like, you're not, you're not the guy. Because you're the guy that stands behind those guys and thinks he's those guys. I was like, yeah, that's me, man. I, you know, so... I love that group, though. I mean, you think about all those guys, but so young with so much potential. I love that they put you guys together. And then I just always just thinking of you standing there. Let's just say it's Mean Gene, and, you know, you got your mouth running, and he's coming back at you. Like, uh-huh. it was just so good kind of go rubbing off them. And you were, like, so perfect as, like, you know, the size, not small, but smaller guy compared to those guys. And you're being a shit talker. And Mean Gene's like, what are you saying, you punk? You know, he would get in your face about it. Oh, let me tell you something. To be here's one thing I can tell you, man. To that's one reason I look at 
the, the individuals that I was able to work with, like, man, to, to be sitting there with Mean Gene or even to go toe-to-toe with a Ric Flair, like, I was so blessed. I mean, obviously, I didn't know what I had in my hand at the time or I'd still be there in that industry. I wasn't, I wasn't humble enough to understand. And, and, and actually, nobody ever pulls you to the side to tell you, you're effing up, kid. You need to change this or change that, you know, especially when we got to WWE. Like, nobody ever pulled me to a side and said, you need to change this, you know. Um, but I was so blessed to be able to work with a guy like Mean Gene and understand and take that knowledge or a flair and take that knowledge or, or, or actually anybody that we worked with, man. Like, I mean, we all at that time, I think we were all kind of feeding off each other. I mean, even from the three counts to the team Canada to Lance Storm, like, you know, and, and I mean, I had, I had, a, I had a, an awesome match with Lance Storm, you know, and just had, I felt like a great match with Lance Storm, but, you know, working with these guys. So I was, I felt very blessed to be in this realm. I just didn't know what I had in my hand at the time and I didn't respect it. That was a big deal, I guess you could say. And at this point, you're saying that, but you were definitely, I guess cocky would be a good word, but really smooth because you would do that Conan, like feel that's enough, like very, (laughs) very smooth and kind of, you know, ahead of yourself as far as, being that smooth on the mic that early on? Um, I, you know what? I, I appreciate that. I just, for me, it never was work. Um, you know, they would here. I will tell you this. So, you know, as the writers for the show, when you're a writer, at least back then, you know, and I would say an Ed Ferrara, Bill Banks. So when they give you something, it's written very writerish, you know, the spelling's probably all correct, the punctuation's where it's supposed to be, the verbiages, and, you know, like, they would hand it to me, and there was a point to where I would just read it, and I would, I literally, I'd say, uh, can I just say this how I would say it, and mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, like, that, that first six-minute promo I did on Nitro, like, when they handed it to me, I looked at it, and I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, like, if I got to say this word for word, I'm effed. Like, I am so effed, and I think I went to Bill Banks or something. I was like, can I just – he's like, just deliver it how you would deliver it. And that got me through it, like, because I just say it how I would say it. And because I'm not – listen, man, I'm from the South. I don't have a crazy education. So, you know, punctuality and exclamation points and verbiage, I'm like, can I just deliver this? And they gave me the freedom – you know, and, and also working with people, like working with Flair for that brief time I did, he gave me the freedom. Working with Cat, oh, my God. Like working with Ernest Miller, like Ernest Miller was just like, you bring it, I'm going to bring it. He goes, just say whatever you want to say, man. He goes, just bring it. And But they would give you the points to deliver, and I would deliver them, you know. But thank you for saying that because, I mean, it's, you know, it was just, but it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to do that. I don't know if that sounds uh, – being a kind of promo for me was just, I was just being who I was, you know. And I love kind of the creativity too. I mean, you take stuff from other guys, but you're creative. And I believe there's a great DDP story where he wanted to use, you are now <laughs> SOL and you know what that means. And you stole it and you made it your own. And I think so, everyone that knows you remembers SOL and you know what that means. Ha ha. Like that is so good. And so you, but it's funny to think like that was Maybe DDPs at one point. Well, here's the deal. Okay, everybody. Okay, so you got to say something. I got, I probably, Mike Sanders, 
probably got the most heat from that. I got the most heat. Like I was the guy that said, let's steal it. Okay. And that's (laughs) not what happened, man. That is not, that is not even the story, but, um, you got to understand, man, like we were at a Holiday Inn and, and Dallas wasn't even, and, you know, listen, I love DDP. I, I, he's done some amazing things and he is, you know, in my book, he's, he's just a good, he's a good guy and he, he keeps doing amazing things for people. Um, and I can't say enough good things about him, but I will say this. We were at a Holiday Inn, man, and we had all been drinking. We were working for Les Thatcher at some crazy thing. Kevin Nash was there for the first two or three days, um, and then Kevin had to leave, and he left me, Chuck Palumbo, Mark Jindrak, and then Dallas was going to come in to be like the big guy, you know. Uh, and after our event, we're – and none of you know the story or not, but we're walking back, and – Dallas stops us in the middle of the hallway and he goes, guys, I got to tell you guys something. And we're, we're, we're drinking, man. He's like, uh, and you got to understand something. Natural born thrillers like me, Jen Drack and O'Hare. We were just, God, man, we we're just arrogant, like little assholes. Like we were just like, I don't know. We weren't in that old school mentality bullshit. Like we weren't. So, you know, so Dallas was like, yeah, taste of it. Cause I got, I got the next and, and he, he, he may get mad at me. I don't care. Uh, he goes, we got the next biggest catchphrase. He's going to be bigger than Stone Cold said so. It's going to be bigger than you smell at the rocks cooking. And, like, now he's got our ear, right? Like, he, <laughs> he's got our ear. I'm like, this is going to be pretty big. And uh, he goes, um, and there's only one other person that knows about it. It's Kimberly. So if, so if it gets out, you guys are fucking dead. We're like, okay. So he goes, I'm going to walk out to my opponent. I'm going to look at my opponent. I'm going to say, are you sure? (laughs) What did you say? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because if you're sure, you're going to be S-O-L. And you know what that means. And he's, (laughs) he's, he started laughing. And we just kind of looked at each other. And we were like, we all kind of looked at each other like WTF, like what the fuck. <laughs> so then the, the following week, we go to Monday Nitro, and Kevin is Coach Nash. I don't know if yes. you remember that episode. He's got oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. So me, Jendrak, Palumbo, we're like, Kev, you got to hear this story. He's like, what? I was like, no, we got cornered in the high and, and we tell him the story. And he's like, and I was like, and Dallas was like, Dallas would said he would literally murder us if we used it. He goes, well, you know, you got to use it. <laughs> and we're like, huh? He's like, yeah, yeah, you got to use it. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Dallas said he would kill us. He's like, oh, you guys got to use it. And I like, Nash could have been just riven like, like, but then, he, yeah. you know, if you ever seen the thing with the chalkboard, he looks at he looks at, I mean, he looks at uh, O'Hare and he goes, "What did you say?" And then he writes it on the chalkboard, S O L, and that was, that's how that got started. Ah, uh, so funny. Yep. Now there is a there is a la- there is a there is something I've told this story. And I don't care if he ever gets mad at me, but there is a. 
thing that happened several months down the road when Dallas did come back. So I don't know if you ever remember, man, like, so when the natural born fillers would say something, we would always go, mm-hmm. yep. Right. Yep. Okay. So me and Chuck Palumbo were in the ring and we kind of know it's coming. Like we, him and I just got this feeling like, I'm like, man, Dallas is just, cause he, he had to work. I think he had to work with Dallas that night or something. And I'm just like, okay. Like, so we're in the ring. I don't even know what, what we were talking about. And Dallas goes, all right, I need to talk to you guys. I'm like, oh shit, here it comes, man. He goes, you know the thing I told you guys not to say. <laughs> he goes, you know, you effing did it. And he goes, you know, I was gonna get it over as a baby face. You couldn't get it over as a heel. He's like, in our gears. And I'm just sitting there, like I'm like a little boy because I'm now in trouble by Dallas, you know. And he's still top guy, like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not in trouble, you know. And I'm just like, and Plumbo's sitting there, and <laughs> and then Dallas goes, you know, you guys, you guys are like basically telling us that we're acting like assholes and we're getting heat and, you know, the locker room and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, and just like that stupid laugh that you guys do, nobody knows you guys are doing Paul Orndorff. <laughs> and I remember Plumbo looked at me, dropped down to the back bump and rolled out of the ring. And I was just like, I'm like, all right, we're done. We're done here. But listen, man, Dallas has never actually – listen, he, he's he been good about it, man, because he could have just literally – Dallas could have ripped us a new asshole at that time. And there's been several instances – Dallas has been nothing but good to me every time I've seen him. Uh, you know, he matter of fact, his studio is two miles from my house here in Smyrna, Georgia. Um, so anytime I've ever seen Dallas Page, I have nothing but – he's always treated me with – just nothing but kindness, man. Like even at his studio and he's just that guy, man. So I have nothing but respect for him. I mean, back then, once again, hindsight, looking back to when I was just this young guy that didn't know what he had in front of him and didn't probably had no respect for anything. Yeah. So. So funny. That's just uh, so great. And it's so good. I, I just like die laughing when you think about that. You guys being like smart asses and steal stuff, and then Coach Nash, literally Kevin Nash, is such a wise ass. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was just you guys instigating on. us, man. Yeah, he instigating yeah. us. He's like, we know you got to use it. I'm like, oh, no, you don't understand, man. He said he would kill us. I'm like, bro. He's like, ah, bro. You know. Um, but you know, funny thing is, I had this. I had somebody. <laughs> Dallas told me a long time ago, like, you never got it over. And I remember somebody tweeted me something here about six months ago, and I almost – it was it's a big sign that says uh, – Mike Sanders says – it was like a Monday Nitro or something. It was like Mike Sanders says you're SOL. And I almost, almost just like, you know, retweeted, hey, Dallas, you said I'd never get this over. But, like, I'm not that guy now, man. Like, listen, I will tell you this. Had the Natural Born Thrillers been here in this generation of what's going on now, we would have fit right in, like, you know, but back then, man, we got a lot of heat because, you know, we talked about, like, how difficult it was for us breaking in the business in 98. Can you imagine how much heat that got from locker room guys that broke into business in the 70s and the 80s? And Like, we're sitting here talking about how difficult it was breaking into business in 98, man. You know, we got, we got major heat like that. Yeah. And, like, you know, you're breaking in. Of course, these guys want to be in the business. It's so hot right now. Of course, they want to break in. I'm sure you, you, you felt a lot of that wrath as well. 
Well, I mean, listen, face it, man. We went, and I'm not saying that we didn't pay our dues in a sense. I mean, we did, you know, Burt Prentice NWA up there, man. We would do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday before. In that whole year and a half interim before we even got to the dance, you know, we were doing Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays up there with Burt Prentice, which obviously is not paying your dues for 10 years on the road, like working in, you know, for, uh, you know, somebody in Missouri or whatever. But we, you know, I guess we, we we thought we were paying our dues. And we used to joke about that, man. We were like, we'd be like, yeah, man, we're only getting paid 150 bucks a night for having to drive six miles. And I remember, like, a lot of the old school guys were like, what, what, what are these guys talking about? You know? Mm-hmm. I remember, I'll tell you a story that got me in a lot of trouble, actually. It got me in a, like, this is how me and Jindrak used to interact in the locker room. Like, this got me a lot. This is, like, how we would be. So, and listen, nothing against this guy because I love him to death, okay? But, uh, like, Jindrak and I would walk in the locker room, and he would go, like, hey, man, did you, did you hear that? Steamboat Flare, and I'd go, yeah, yeah, I heard about that, man. Everybody's talking about that. Steamboat Flare, Steamboat Flare. You gotta understand, I'm in a locker room full of old school guys, right? And I'd be like, yeah, I heard, I heard about that, man. Steamboat Flare, Steamboat Flare, man. Like, oh my God, it's legendary, it's legendary. And I'd go, I know David Flare. He's not that good. He's the shit, <laughs> you know. And Jindrak would go exactly, you know. Like we'd walk off, and like these guys would look at us like these, you know. And that's the kind of heat we would get, man, just like – and we were just being clowns, you know. But at the time, you not knowing it's going to cost me a career. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, my God. You guys are so funny and such wise asses. Uh, oh, we were huge. I we, love we it. Brutal, bro. And I will tell you, Jindrak, like Jindrak and O'Hare and even Palumbo, those guys could give it out. I mean, like – they could dish it out 10 times worse than I could. I was just the guy that wound up catching all the heat. Like, I could be the guy riding in the car and not saying nothing, man, and then get to the next town and be like, oh, did you hear what Sanders said? <laughs> so. You're the one getting in trouble for dude, the Dude, I, was, uh, I caught guys. a lot of heat, bro, literally a lot. But it's okay. Like, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, it was a costly learning experience. But listen, man, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a good life. I don't bitch about my life at all now, so. Hey, but you did end up getting a pretty good push. I mean, cruiserweight champion at that point when they're trying to kind of revitalize revitalize the cruiserweight division. Right. You become right. the the commissioner of WCW, which was a lot of obviously speaking role, and then you're going kind of one on one and head to head against Cat Ernest the Cat Miller, who is a great charismatic wow. talker as well. So it just shows you like they had a lot of faith in you and they liked you, and obviously Russo uh, liked you a lot as well. Well, that was the deal. So so Russo had a lot of well, yeah. I agree with you, and I'm gonna be honest with you. To go like there was, a, there's a lot of highlights in my career. One, going toe to toe with a cat was like you. First of all, you better be able to go to another level because that guy would just even. I like I, I see cat periodically. You know, I see him once or twice a month around town here. We talk, but he's still the cat. Like he would eat you up if you weren't on your game, and so he literally made me up my game a lot. But be able to go toe to toe with him, that that experience is probably. But yeah, Russo, because Russo had faith in me. Like here's the deal. Like I honestly believe 100. percent A, I'm, this is this this is me still being probably a little bit arrogant. 
I don't know of anybody else in WCW that could have went toe-to-toe with me on the mic except for the Cat, Flair, maybe those two. Anybody else, I probably would have paid up. And at the time, there was very few people in the WWE that could have went toe-to-toe with me on the microphone. Um, yeah, I remember when a poll came out on the you know top five, top five guys on the mic in professional wrestling, and it was Rock, Triple H, uh, Rock, Triple H, Stone Cold, Kurt Angle, and Mike Sanders. And to be in that audience, to be in that crowd, I was like, yeah. And so if, if me and my belief, if I'd ever had my shot in WWE, I don't know that there's anybody up there that, aside from, you know, a few, that could have – That I mean, I, I think I could have hung with anybody up there. I'll tell you that. And that's not arrogant. That's just because that's just something that just came natural to me. And you were in pretty elite company as far as that top five for, for that sure. Top five def- when the poll came out for, I don't know, it was pro wrestling. I forget what the, the I forget what the magazine was, man. It was only like one of those mag- big magazines at the time. Um, but it was like, it was. It, I mean, it was, you know, Rock, Stone Cold, Hunter, Kurt, and me. And uh, I was like, yeah, okay, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah, Russo had a lot of – he had a lot of faith in me. But, I mean, I felt like I delivered. Anytime he gave me the microphone and I had to go out there and do something, I mean, you know, I just went out there and did what I had to do. You think that he's underrated as a writer? Because now, for God knows what reason, even though he's one of the most successful writers of all time, he's always catching flack and only heat from these random fans and stuff that kind of uh, devalue almost and De, uh, not really appreciate the attitude error as much. And I don't know if they realized that was the biggest error in the history of wrestling pretty much. And he was the head writer for most of it. Let me tell you something that I thought about the other day that literally, uh, and I want to ask, Vin, like, I want to, I mean, Ben Vince have been talking about, I mean, we haven't been talking, we've been playing phone tag for the last three weeks here, but like, so now in this generation that we live in, everybody as a voice, okay? So there are, and I, listen, the one guy I'm not really defending, uh, and I've never had any issue with Jim Cornette whatsoever. I'm not defending him at all. But, like, so I think about this. If there was a Twitter, if there was a Twitter or there was a Facebook or <clears throat> an Instagram during the Attitude Era, during the time that Vince Russo was writing, who would – have been his critics back it up 20 years before that. Because I'm sure 20 years before that, there were guys, when Vince Russo started writing and doing the Monday Night Raws, and that, the guys 20 years before him said, this guy's out of his effing mind. What is he doing? Can you believe he's putting that on TV? And, and they were probably critiquing and criticizing everything Vince Russo was doing. Now, fast forward. I say Vince and the Jim Cornettes sometimes are criticizing, critiquing what's happening now, 20 years fast forward. But who were their critics 20 years before that? Because there were guys, you know, old school guys that probably thought Vince Russo had lost his damn mind writing what he was writing then. And fortunately, what happened during that era was, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and all that Attitude Era, man, which just blew effing up. Now, 
would Vince or even the Jim Cornettes be such a critic or get so much flack for his – I mean, listen, Vince just tells it like it is, man. Like, you know, he is Vince Russo, and he's I, – I, I, I love the guy to death. Like, I, I, I love Vince. He's always been nice to me. He's always been good to me. He's, he's, he's the kind of guy that when we call and we talk, first thing he asks about my family. You know, that's just how he's always been. But thing right now, let's, let's, let's say AEW had launched and their ratings had went to what Monday Nitros were. Would Vince or even Jim Cornette or, or the people that are critics of them be saying what they're saying now? Absolutely not. Now, I will tell you this. If you can't, I, I do believe that everything's built on the foundation, but I also believe that you've got to kind of evolve a little bit. Like the, the people back 20 years before Vince, think about it, man. They had to evolve to what was going on for SmackDown and, and, and Monday Night Raw. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying, like all the crazy stuff. Well, you've got to be able to evolve on the same foundation and find some good. The easiest thing in the world is to be a critic, man. Like, the easiest thing in the world is to talk trash about somebody. It's hard to find good. I mean, I've been watching a lot of the AEW stuff now, and to me, it, it's kind of – there's some energy there. Well, I mean, is the writing great? Eh, whatever. But there's some energy there some that we haven't seen in a while, in my opinion. Could, listen, every show could be critiqued, and, and every show could be better. Now – Love Vince Russo to death, but at some point you do have to take that foundation, and you got to say, okay, let's 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 find some positive and something here. I my biggest thing is I would hate for Vince because he was so creative during that time, and and, and the guy did like he's got a legacy of what he he did do. I would just say like I don't want I like I I don't want to be the bitter guy in life or remember as the bitter guy in life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I mean, Vince is, but, but also Vince, Vince is doing his thing. You know, he's a smart guy when it comes to, you know, he's generating his brand. I mean, he's doing that. So kudos to him. Like, but I got nothing for love for Russo. And, you know, Cornette's Cornette, man. Like, he comes from a generation that's different. And, you know, he did some, but, but once again, let's back it up. <clears throat> Who thought? 20 years before Cornette that they would say like this Cornette, who's this guy with a tennis racket and his tag team? Has he lost his damn mind? You know? So, Oh yeah. Yeah. Ole Anderson was not a fan. I know that. Yeah. So my thought process is man, like, we're, listen, we, we're changing. And if you can't change with what's going on, you are going to become a dinosaur and you're going to become a, a, a how, how do you say this, man? You're going to become this this bitter individual. You're going to be looked at as a bitter individual. We're we're all social media now, man. Times have changed so much. Even if you look at the WWE product, I mean, look at all the people that are on the WWE roster. Or look at pro wrestlers now. It's really not about the wrestling. It's about all of their social media, man. Yeah. Yep. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. You know, let me let me tell you this right now. So in the world of TV and film and the world of acting, right, if you've got 2 million followers on Instagram and you've only got one acting credit, chances are t- 
Tyler Perry studio will book you for a show based on your 2 million followers. Wow. There, there are casting directors. There are TV producers. Like my agent came out to me and like, would talk to me like, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Like I don't have a big following, man. Like I just haven't, you know, I put my head down. I haven't, haven't done it. But my agent, you know, years ago was like, you know, you got to get your followers up because casting directors and, and TV producers like, you know, there, there's a guy that, that booked the Tyler Perry show a couple of years ago had 2 million followers, like had one acting credit, but he got booked on his 2 million followers. And if you got a brand, you got 2 million followers. Like if I was, you know, if I had 2 million followers, I guarantee you, I'd probably be looking booking a lot of damn, uh, uh, probably have my own damn series. <laughs> so, but that's right. what it's about. You know, that's what it's about. It's, it's, that's what it's become. I mean, you know, is it about, and that's why I think that AEW, and I'm just not, I'm not, you know, I'm not on their payroll, but they have brought an energy to the industry a little bit, you know, with what they're doing. That's all. Absolutely. Maybe the booking isn't great or creative isn't great and some of the guys they push, but yeah, the crowds are great. The energy is great. And they're definitely have a different look to it. Uh, almost a, a little bit of a nitro feel to it. A little bit. And, I, and here's one thing else I've always said too, man. Like, um, so let's just take stand-up comedy, man. Like you don't have to be the funniest guy. But if you hit that stage with enough energy, people are going to listen to you for a half hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Period. Yep. I, 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 listen, I've done it. I've been there. I know. So. Now, just kind of getting back to WCW, obviously they end up closing the doors. WWF ends up buying them. Yeah, obviously you had the last Nitro with Vince. Your contract gets bought out. What's, like, your thought process during this whole period? You're shocked? Like, WCW had the, the big number two. It's gone all of a sudden. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I really, it really didn't, I don't know, it really didn't resonate with me too much. I don't know why. Like, I remember sitting on a plane with Chris Canyon, and he was all, like, freaked out. He's like, oh, man, did you hear? Did you hear? I'm like, I'm like no, Chris, what? He's like, yeah, we, we, we got bought out, man. We're going to go with WWE. And he was all, like, hyped. And I'm like, I was like, no, nah, I mean, I guess because I, okay. So I never really thought of myself as, like, this, even though I, you know, I, I had that persona of the Mike Sanders, or whatever. Like I never had my, like I, like Chris Canyon was above me. All these, all these guys, all these people were above me. So, one of my biggest mistakes was I was happy to have a job. You know, uh, John Laronitis or whatever Johnny Ace came to me one time. He's like, you know what kind of position you're in? You need to ask for more money. I was just happy to have a job. So. Not to sound crazy, it never really resonated with me that we were getting bought out. I was like, okay, well, you know, hopefully my contract gets picked up. And it did. Yeah, yep. You ended up getting bought out. But then they didn't really do anything with WCW. I mean, they buried it and they killed they buried, it. And you got sent down to HWA. They absolutely just buried it and they ruined the invasion. And kind of, if you think about it, basically killed the business. And it's been downhill ratings-wise ever since. Well, the one thing I do believe in is that competition, competition breeds ratings. Mm, and yep. when, you, when you're the only game in town, like when you are the only game in town and there's really nowhere to go or nothing to do, like it's, it's tough. Like, you know, it was, a, it was definitely a weird time. And I know TNA was trying to come on and do their thing and all that. But, um, no, nah, it, was, it was a weird time, man. Like, listen – 
I got I got sent to HWA by accident, you know. Like I actually, I made a stupid phone call one day after everybody had been sent up there, and then you know, long story short, the person on the other end of the phone goes, "Yeah, you probably need to go up there too." I'm like, well, I'm like what? Uh, I was it was a stupid phone call. I don't want to get into it, but I was like, yeah, I'm like you probably need to go up there too. I'm like, really? So I went up there, and uh, yeah, they. I mean, every, like if you look at everybody that came in from WCW, everybody that they bought out their contracts. How many people really were left? You know? Yeah. Not a lot, not a lot man. No. Uh-oh. Nope. Really, the only guy they ever really did anything with, and I felt like they could have done 10 times more with him, was Booker T. They could have used him 10 times better than they did. I mean, he did have a good run, but and obviously he's still there now. But, man, they dropped the ball on him, and they you know, they kind of made him a little bit of a joke, uh, butt of the joke a bunch of times, too. Yeah, true, true. But he wound up being okay, you know. He, I think book's gonna be book's gonna be good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned TNA as competition, so Russo ends up going to TNA. Obviously, Jeff and Jerry Jarrett, you end up there. Sports Entertainment Extreme, which is such an underrated time in TNA, and I always enjoyed TNA, especially at that point. Was that something where Russo brought you in? Uh, you, you don't want to swear about that either, do you? I think you and I are probably going to have to do a part two, Mike Sanders. Um, yeah, I would love that. That's awesome. So yeah. the TNA thing, man, um, once I got released from the WWE, which is a whole nother story, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I had a 90-day I had a ninety day clause, something like that. I couldn't wrestle anywhere for 90 days. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I, Russo called me, and he's like, hey, uh, your 90 days is up. He's like, I got you written into the show. You need to call Bob Ryder, and, uh, you know, we're going to bring you in. You need to call Bob Ryder, and uh, obviously the pay was a lot less than, uh, um, you know, what we were making in WWE, but it's a new show, whatever. So I call Bob Ryder. I'm like, hey, and Bob Ryder's like, um, hey, you know, for the first time, and, and you got a sense of, like, I had been going up to TNA visiting, like riding up there with Vince, just, you know, see, see the boys and just, you know, um, see the product or whatever. So it wasn't like I was just, you know, just showing up for the first time. And I think it was like two or three, like two months, you know, every Wednesday night. So then Bob Ryder's like, hey, we're going to bring you in on the first time. On our first time we bring wrestlers in, we give them this amount. And, uh, and Russo was like, make sure he doesn't, you know, make sure you get this amount. Don't let him try to talk you down. So I said, ah, you know, Bob, I, you know, I prefer to, you know, I'm going to come up there. And he's like, well, let me check the budget. We could probably do that. But what I didn't know was, like, he went back to Jeff Jarrett and told Jeff that, like, I was being this, well, I don't know, freaking negotiator, but not knowing that Vince Russo told me to be this negotiator. You know, so I come into TNA with a ton of heat with Jeff Jarrett just right out of the gate. I'm like, whatever, you know. So, yeah, uh, I went to TNA, and, and, you know, Russo brought me in up there, you know. Um, which, and you – and I and I know that you got even more heat with uh, Jeff Jarrett because you did the greatest chant ever in the history of the business. That hey, and you were getting over with it. And apparently he hated. You want to know that. something? You want to know something? That's not why. You know the crazy thing is, is that's not the real reason that I have heat. With, that I had heat with Jeff Jarrett. Oh no! Okay. Right. No, 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 no. By far, by far, I, I was going up there. Um, a day early to have a meeting with um oh God, what was her name? The lady that owned the place. Dixie. Um, Dixie, right. And it had nothing to do with wrestling. Like nothing to do with pro wrestling. 
she only tells me about some other stuff. But I went up there, and but before, but you understand something. When you when you are involved with Vince Russo and you ride with Vince Russo, you kind of know what's going on all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And Russo, Vince Russo, had told me that um, me and Disco were going to work America's Most Wanted, and that Elix Skipper was going to get involved in the match, and that they were going to lose. Okay. Now I got this knowledge. So I go up there, I meet with Dixie, but then I go out later on that night and I go into Bar Nashville. And when I walk into Bar Nashville, there's Chris Harris and James Storm. And they're like, hey, I'm like, what's going on, guys? We start talking. You know, we're just having a casual conversation. And uh, they're like, yeah, I think we're working you in Disco tomorrow. I said, yeah, it's weird. And I even said that. I'm like, that's weird. I was like, I don't even know. Because me and Disco were like, not even, like we weren't even contingents for the tag titles. Like, like why we were even written into this is beyond us. You know? Because they mm-hmm. were like the tag, they were contingent for the tag titles and all this kind of stuff and all this. And I said, yeah. And, and I don't know. It was like Chris Harris and James Storm was like, yeah, like, why are we wrestling you guys? I said, ah, dude, I have no idea. I said, it doesn't make any sense to me. And they go, well, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. I think like, I think Elix Skipper is going to come in and do like, I don't know, he's getting involved for us like a screw job or something like that, right? Like, understand, I'm just having a regular conversation with these guys. Now, next day, I show up at TNA, and uh, Russo comes up to me. He's like, oh, he's like, bro, you got heat with Jarrett. I'm like, about, for what? He goes, what did you do last night? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then Bob Ryder's like in my gears. He's like, what? he's like, what's up? What, like, what, what was the deal last night? I'm like, like they made it sound like no joke, bro. They made it sound like I walked into Bar Nashville, kicked the doors off the hinges, and said, "Hey, guess who's jobbing to me in disco tomorrow night?" <laughs> and I literally went to James Storm and I went to Chris Harris. I'm like, like WTF guys? Like seriously? They're like, well, no, you know, we just didn't know. Blah, blah. So then I literally I go in to Jeff Jarrett's office and I said, Jeff. That's not what happened, dude. Like, I didn't walk in and kick. Like, he goes, well, you know, you're not, you shouldn't have been discussing matches. You're kind of proving it. And we, I said, Jeff, like, that's not what happened. And he had it in his mind that I had literally come in guns a-blazing, like, you guys are doing the job to us tomorrow. And I'm like, anyway. So I said, look, Jeff, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, it's not what happened. But, and I literally was apologizing. Sure enough, I ride home with Vince that night. He goes, yeah, Jeff doesn't believe anything he said. Oh. I was like, okay. And yeah, he was pissed that I had a – I guess he was pissed that I met up with Dixie about something that had nothing to do with pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yep. But Jeff Jarrett was the uh, – I guess you could say he was kind of like the nail in my coffin for pro wrestling. Um, and you know what? Like – Years later, here's the most effed up thing. Years later, like when I was doing stand-up comedy at the, uh, the comedy, ca- I mean the Orlando Comedy Club, he'd be down there, and you know, I was like, you know, I was like, hey, Mike, and like, you know, I stopped by you know, TNA or whatever, and just that whole like, the whole, uh, I don't know, just just fake to me. But I will tell you, the whole hey thing, the, the yeah, oh, yeah, 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 you know, he, got pissed. Yep. he was pissed about that too. He's like, you're a heel, dude. You're not supposed to be getting. You know, you're not supposed to be getting like that heat. And the, and the crazy thing is, like, like TNA had the whole heel section. Like, they had a heel section. Mm-hmm. So, which, 
anything I would have done then would be so over right now, like, you know, because it is what it is. So, but uh, that was the TNA fiasco. Uh, and later on down the road, you know, me and Chris Harris, actually, we had a long conversation and we kind of patched things up, man. When I was down in Orlando doing some comedy, he came out, we talked. Um, James Storms, like, whatever, I'm, I'm happy for him. He's made a career. But uh, me and Chris Harris, we did. We, we talked and just, you know, we, we patched things up, man. So uh, I hope he's doing well. Now, you know, you mentioned a part two, and I think this would be kind of a perfect way to kind of head towards the finish and wind it yeah. down because I do think part two would be awesome because I have so many more questions, not only about WCW, but about Glenn Gilberti, about Russo, about TNA, maybe uh, some other WCW stuff as well. So I think that would be awesome if we could do a, a yeah, part two. Yeah, I can tell you about how I got, yeah. I how I got fired from WWE. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So well, let's, let's do that, man. Yeah, let's do a part two. But before we do that, obviously, let's kind of uh, get out all your plugs and kind of find out wh- you know where you're going to be, what you what you're going to be doing, website, social media. Let's get all that. Here's stuff the out deal, there. man. I, I, like I don't really. I'm a pro of my company, man. I have a company that's an event company here in Atlanta called the Party Career Medic. I've got these two uh, VW buses that have literally just taken off. Um, I do some TV and film. I still have a great agent here. Um, but as far as plugs, I don't have a whole lot of plugs, man. I mean, follow me on Twitter, Instagram and all that good stuff. But uh, uh, maybe I'll have some more stuff going on when we, uh, we, we, we catch up next time. All right, yeah. Awesome, awesome stuff. And, uh, Mike, this is just unbelievable. One of my favorites. Just loved you on the mic. I loved everything you did. I, I loved, you know, the hey and the yay, and, you know, that, that chant, uh, the SOL, just so many good, great memories. And I can't wait to kind of – do a little bit of a, a part two and get some even more great stories out of you because you are great talker, always had that, that gift of gab, had that charisma. So absolutely love it. And Linda, let's line it up and let's get a part two down the road. Let's do it, brother. Well, listen, if we don't, you know what you're going to be? S-O-L. And you know what that means. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.